Well, I'm sitting here today with Matt Finelli. Um, we met a couple of days ago, and uh, I'd heard that he was a, a guru uh, meditator, and I reserved judgment, even though I probably had a little bit of judgment <laughs> at first. But uh, I, I met you with an open mind, and now you're here because I liked everything you'd said and everything yeah. that we talked about for hours the yeah. day we met. Um, it was I wanted one to bring the, that to this audience. So. Right, yeah. It was one of those conversations where they just explode into a four-hour conversation. Yeah, for sure. And I wanted to talk to other people at the party, but I was so <laughs> engaged. Yeah, uh, it was so great. Um, it's always a delight, like when when you can kind of find people that you click with yeah. so rapidly and yep. so instantly. And um, I think about a lot of strange things, and uh, and not too many people can keep up. Um, to the full extent when I'm fully unloading everything. And so it was cool. Uh, it's always amazing when, when I meet people that are right there and ready to dive headfirst in. So it was really cool. Yeah, One of those special moments for sure. Definitely. Yeah. So we were, at, I mean, we've been talking a while today, but, um, you know, we, we, we spoke a little bit. It was interesting about how you got involved at an early age and you were talking about seeing things in your house and go ahead and talk about that again because yeah. that was a good one and I, I actually had a very similar experience but go ahead and talk about how you like young how you kind of got your rocked a little bit into this world you <laughs> yeah know? yeah so when i was really little i had some peculiar experiences um with with what I can only describe as, as ghosts. And it was, you know, when I was maybe between one and a junior in high school. Um, I mean, young. Yeah. And there was this lady that I described as the witch lady. And I told my parents about it a couple times, but I came from a very conservative Christian family in West Michigan. And so there wasn't really any kind of context for something like ghosts to be existing. Um, so I quickly kind of stopped telling them about it. But when I would go to bed at night or if I was in like kind of like an altered state of consciousness, like a really high fever or something like that, I would, it was almost like those dimensions would start overlapping with mine. And I would see this lady who was always just like watching me from afar. Like, especially when I would go to the bathroom, there was this bathroom that I'd open the door and down the door, out the door, you could see this long, long hallway. And at the end of the hallway was this lady who was dressed like a classic ghost lady where she had this long white nightgown and her head was like directed down just a little bit with long black hair. And she was so faint that I was like, am I really seeing this lady or not? And in another circumstance where I had, I was sitting on the stairway 
I would always stay up waiting for my parents to get home if we ever had a babysitter. And then I'd run down and be like, I never went to bed. And I was like, you know, little, little shit, like <laughs> getting the babysitter in trouble, I'm sure. But um, I was sitting on the stairs waiting for my parents to get home. And I saw this motion at the top of the stairwell. And this was when I was like nine or something. And I look up and there is this kid who is like slowly walking and I see his head like look down at me, but his face is a complete blur, but his body was defined and wearing clothes and, but like slightly transparent. And then he walked into my brother and sister's room who were really young. And I walked and I like, like every bad horror movie just ran right after it to try to be like, what was that? And my brother and sister were just sound asleep in their beds. And I looked under their beds. I looked into the closet. There was just nothing there. And then my parents came home and I was freaked out. And I ran down. I was like, oh my God, I saw a ghost. I saw a ghost. And I'm like, no, no, I'm sure it was just an angel. That's what they said. And I was like, it wasn't an angel. Like angels have wings. Like, <laughs> and, and we went upstairs. We went through the whole house. I mean, there was just nothing. And... You know, after that, I just stopped telling them about these circumstances and they didn't happen all the time, but they would happen enough where I was uneasy being in that house, like upstairs by myself. And, um, and then years later, we had moved into a new house that was next door. We built a new house next door to our old house and we were having a dinner conversation and I was like that we were talking about how creepy that old house was. And, and it was there that my brother said that he experienced the same lady who, when he would go to bed or when he would go to, to the bathroom at night, he would also see a lady standing at the end of the hallway. And then my dad, who doesn't believe in ghosts said one night, he thought he forgot to lock the doors downstairs, went to that hallway and at the end of the hallway, he turned the light on and saw a lady run into me and my brother's room. And he sprinted after her, went into the room, and there was nothing there. Yeah, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. And it was, it was that whole experience as a child made me realize that people can be experiencing this life experience in completely different ways and my reality might not be the same reality that other people's reality is and where the consensus reality whatever that is it we're peering at it through so many different experiences and that there's essentially just there's nothing normal about life at all there's like that normalcy is is people not perceiving the mystery of the world that we're living in. So that kind of launched me into asking some interesting questions at church and then getting impacted by that whole arena of um, things. And eventually I kind of rebelled against the church in my college days and then started reading about every kind of spiritual tradition under the sun, including shamanism and 
Hinduism, Taoism, Buddhism, but also then going back into the Judeo-Christian religions and then perceiving them from a different perspective. And I think the whole journey has given me substantial insight into into some interesting things um, that I think could be helpful for a lot of people who are doing some spiritual seeking. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Now, the, it, and you said you you had some some experiences yeah, with ghosts. But you little, yeah, what was that all about? Definitely did. I I didn't see one ghost. I saw maybe twenty ghosts. Oh my God. But they were they would walk down the hallway every night, and they would kind of look at me and just keep walking. Look at me mm-hmm. and keep walking. Um, don't know why they were looking at me. I have no idea. I was the kind of kid that if I saw anything that I didn't recognize, I'd go look at it and inspect it, especially specifically if it, uh, if it scared me mm-hmm. because I knew for some reason I needed to overcome fear. Yeah. And I didn't know why I just like whatever was in front of me, I needed to, I needed to it, go make sure I was okay with it. Right. Um, and I did. And I walked up, I went up to my, the door frame, the doll, the hallway, and I looked up and they looked down at me and I went, okay, so they're people, um, which really threw me for a loop and they were looking at me and I didn't know, I no, for some reason I thought they were looking for me to do something for them and I had no idea mm. what, I like, what can I do for this vaporous thing yeah. sitting in front of me? <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, that was weird. Um, I had, there was another time during the day, uh, that there was this flame looking thing about the size of me, uh, me sitting down as a, you know, six year old kid, which was disturbing also, but I knew something was weird. Um, we moved homes and, that didn't come with me. And so the very first night we were in this new house, you know, it, it kind of bothered me that I was dealing seeing this every night. Right. Yeah. And the very first night I expected to see the same thing. I thought they were attached to me hmm. and I was very happy to find out that it was attached to that house. Yeah. At least that was my assumption because right. they didn't show up at the yeah. new house. And I'm like, okay, I think we're done with the Ooh. ghost. <laughs> yeah. So that was pretty strange. Wow. But um, I really didn't, you know, I've, I've, in my spiritual journey, I've looked at a lot of different religions and, you know, taken, I'd like to get your opinion on this too. Mm -hmm. There seems to be a lot of commonality in a lot of religions and, and like my Hindi friend, he would say that they're all right. You know, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. And, uh, and I agree with that. And I think they, but we get caught up in some of the, I think it's maybe that you are, we project our own egos into this stuff. And, oh, yeah. And, and we get some problems pretty quick. Well, I think they're all right and they're all wrong, right? Yeah. And what we'd have to do is, is read them and study them in order to figure out the useful parts of them and discard the parts that aren't. Right. And 
what's interesting is that once we start reading more and more about these spiritual traditions, we're seeing not just this spiritual contract, I think, that like a lot of people in Western traditions kind of see religion as. It's like, mm-hmm. if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior into your heart, yes. then the following stipulations occur and you have to check all these boxes to make sure you're not sinning and like blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, and it's like very legalistic almost. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you start to read about other religions, it's not that way. Yeah. It's more so this it seems to be this human yearning, this, the human spirit yearning for divinity. And we see that yearning expressed across cultures of all kinds, mm-hmm. even in, in non-industrialized cultures, like shamanic cultures, native cultures, all have this some sort of spiritual yearning that is expressed through spiritual behavior it is it's something that seems innate to our existence is this drive and this yearning and i think that is fascinating and should drive people to ask more questions because i think the biggest disservice that that organized religion has done is is essentially put themselves as like a middleman to yeah. God. And, yeah. and yeah. that is something that I think the entire population of earth is suffering from. Mm-hmm. Some cultures do that more than others. And I think the Eastern cultures have done a really good job of saying, Hey, this whole thing that we're experiencing right now, all of it and all of its messiness is, is some sort of God life expression. Like the life expression and the experience that's happening now is God or the universe or anything like that, like expressing itself in infinite, like in an infinite amount of ways. But through like the Christian religion, if you read the Bible, there's a lot of really interesting allegories and things that should really be meditated on but unfortunately we have a very external externally reaching society like very materialistic society so we're we're saying okay the bible is the word of god that means everything in it is true and this is this is the blueprint for the way the world was and all of these things happen to the t and like some people do read the allegories, but a lot of people are like, oh, we've sinned from God and now we're dirty and God won't accept us anymore. And now we have to, we have to repent in order to get to heaven after we die. And when we look cross-culturally at these things, we're like, you know, if you're, if you're putting off your spiritual bliss towards for after your death and you're going to spend your whole life in this state of guilt and suffering and feeling inferior instead of something that drives your life and makes you feel united right. with this whole life process that's going on, right. yep. which is the exciting part. 
everybody wants to throw their wishes and beliefs into life after death and they forget about the life before death. Right. (laughs) Yeah. The life that's happening now. And, you know, the, the whole reason that people pursue spirituality at all is, is because there is some sort of like innate suffering that seems to be happening here across the board. If we weren't suffering at all, then people wouldn't be looking for spirituality. People would just be chilling out and having a good time. <laughs> but, yeah. but it, it is the fact that there is suffering happening in everybody's lives that compels us to ask some of these deeper questions and those deeper questions when properly inspected can, can really feel some, feel some vacancies in us that that really unites us into the process of life that's happening. And it's, yeah. it's an incredible experience, but it takes time and, and it takes an open mind to really approach it because mm-hmm. there's been so much accumulation of thoughts and ideas that have been imposed on us. Yeah. And it's, it seems to me there's a couple of points here that I was thinking, first of all, People get locked into their own ways, and I, and I was there, you know, hundred percent. I, I grew up same thing I, I, in a Christian with Christian values, Christian beliefs, Christian everything, theology, and and then you go from that to my, you know my science background and my you know, mm-hmm. my work background and all that kind of stuff. And I think people get so entrenched in thinking that their thoughts are who they are and such a large portion of who they are that if they're, if they start changing those thoughts, that it changes, it, it, it just wipes the slate clean mm-hmm. on who they are mm-hmm. and it scares the hell out of them. It's not the unknown. It's the loss of the known mm-hmm. that gets them scared. So there's that part of it that, you know, you've, you've got to be able to overcome. But once you overcome it and you, like, I started meditating at 14, okay? Wow. And I really didn't, it didn't dawn on me that until shoot in my fifties or forties that, I mean, I'd had a lot of weird experience. I've had out of body experiences I've got, but it didn't dawn on me that I was actually kind of incarcerated by my beliefs mm-hmm. and my, my thoughts. And I, I basically been in from what I can tell kind of a prison for maybe 40, uh, the 54 years of my life. Mm-hmm. And I've been, But once you get out of that and you see where you were, you just go, okay, and now I got to make sure I don't start to revert back to that because you you can revert back, although it's pretty difficult now. I don't think I ever could. Um, There's, There's an idea in yoga, and yoga is, is one of those mis- misinterpreted terms uh, in Western culture, because in yoga, people believe yoga to be, you know, like 
twisting your body around in all these crazy positions and it's an exercise you um put on like all this music and it's fun and it is fun yeah. um sometimes it can be a show too. yeah yeah <laughs> it's like but, in, in Let me show you my ego through my yoga techniques. So, right. Yeah, that's how. And, and it's in its original, like in its original form, like yoga means to yoke or unity. Like in yoga, it is a combination. It's a flow of all of these different postures, like one flowing thing of movement. Mm -hmm bringing us into the flow of life, essentially the flow of the life energy that's moving through everything. So when we're doing yoga, it's not just these postures, but it is this mental state of union that we're seeking out. And in, in the yogic tradition, they have this term called the koshas, which are our bodies. And I think they, I believe they have like, eight bodies or seven bodies or something like that. But one of them is um, your food body and your mental body and your energy body, like pranamaya kosha, manamaya kosha. Like these, these bodies are essentially like your food body is an accumulation of all of the food that you've eaten. And then now we're carrying with you yeah. to, to create your physical body. And your mental body is an accumulation of all of the thoughts that have been uh, accumulated through your mind. And, and, and your pranamaya kosha is all of the accumulation of all the energies that have uh, built up in your system. And so when you say you're locking into this identity, that's exactly what seems to be happening is as we get older, we accumulate more and more and more in things. And that open mind becomes a little bit more closed and, and our ideas become a little bit more rigid. And, and when you look at anything in the world, like you see plants or something, you see this young, flexible, malleable plant. And when we age, or when things die, you see those same plants, they're rigid, they're stiff, you break them and they crack. And similarly, like that rigidity and that, that stiffness is essentially like a symptom of death. And we see that as the accumulations grow, people become less malleable, less flexible. And that's why it's, it's so important for people as they age to catch themselves in their rigid thought patterns, in their stiffness, in their in both physical and mm -hmm. their mental sides, so that they can remain open to to all those things. Because, like you said, it's you went through a beautiful transformation at, in your fifties, yeah, and that's exciting yeah. uh, because it's never too late to to explore those kind of spaces yeah, for sure. in fact it's i think an imperative that people as they age they explore those spaces more oh yeah in eastern traditions they would after they are done with their work life they would then retire into this spiritual pathfinding where they weren't weren't like homekeepers anymore they were 
pursuing the spiritual life for the rest of their life. That's what I feel like I'm doing now. Yeah. Literally when I'm back formulating or doing whatever, I I try and turn almost any moment into just being 100% into now Mm -hmm. and turning it into a meditative experience. Yeah. So people will ask me, it's like, well, how many times you meditate during the day? And I'm like, it depends on how you look at it. I, I, maybe once, but all day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. That's the, that's the best yeah. answer because a lot of people are like, Oh, we got to meditate for 20 minutes or 30 minutes. That's so long. And it's like, yeah. well, the real point of meditation is to continue meditating. Even after you stand up. Yeah. Like to keep that that space going to be here without you throughout the entire time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And is there any other place that we can be? I don't mm-hmm. think so. Yeah, it's that's all like this illusory space. Like you as a uh, as a rocket scientist. Yeah. Like I'm sure have a very interesting take on on time and space. Like what yeah. what are you uh, what are your thoughts on time? I, I think time's a just part of your perception. I, I think you, you know, we see things move almost like a clock. You mm-hmm. see the sun come up and go down and come up and go down and come up and go down. And during the night, you see the moon come up and go down. We see these things, hands of a, hands of a clock coming by. Um, physics would tell me that past, present, future are all happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. My meditation and other things that I've, I've, I've gone through time, I've seen future and past. Mm-hmm. I've been both in both. I've gone through space. Yeah. Um, I don't know if any science can really tell you what time is mm-hmm. um, besides just kind of projecting movement through some medium mm-hmm. um but it's what people typically think of is this linear you know vector that's going one direction it's wrong I, I think you know one of my favorite gurus uh his name's alan watts he has this oh, yeah. phenomenal this phenomenal speech about time where he goes time is like inches you know, we invented a ruler so that we could then put inches on them so that we can then tell ourselves, oh, yeah, that thing is this many inches. Yeah, and sure. the same thing goes for time where we say, oh, yeah, this is an hour, but we invented this clock mm-hmm. that has this many minutes. And, and that yeah. actuality of the thing is not there besides the concept of, we created an instrument to essentially measure these completely unreal things, except they're real because of the human consciousness that created yeah, we, it. Yeah, because we're trying to figure stuff out. Right. And Absolutely. what, like, one of my things that I like to remind people is this um, idea that is coming from Plutonus. And Plutonus was a Neoplatonist philosopher that was back in, I think, just before the Hellenistic Age, which the Hellenistic Age was this incredible philosophical time around the time where 
the Jesus figure was said to have roamed the earth and and Plutonus had a lot of students and one of his students asked him he said you say there's only one time and he goes how could you possibly say that when there's clearly a past and a future and Plutonus goes hmm I will concede that there are three times but it is the present past, the present present, and the present future. And from this present moment, we are creating past memories. And essentially in psychology, we are drumming up these ideas of our memories. But every single time that we remember an incident, we're adding just a little bit or taking away just a little bit. And these memories are just slightly obscured. Every time. And, and then when we are thinking about the future. I mean, it's even more apparent. Like how many times do we think about the future that never happens? It's this imagination essentially that is happening out of the present moment again, but it's giving us this illusory feel that everything isn't all happening at the same time, which is now. That's a fact. Yeah. But But the... Even the past is still happening. Right. Which is weird. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting to think about like the butterfly effect kind of thing, Mm -hmm. but also through the lens of like multiverse theory. Like if every pot, like if we're thinking about infinity, infinity means that Everything that is a possibility will eventually happen, right? In an infinite universe. In an infinite universe, yeah. And then the fact the multiverses that are out there, um, all of the different events that can happen are happening and actually happening in a different multiverse, which is, there are so many of them, it's just unbelievable. Like an infinite amount. Yeah. And it's simultaneously happening all throughout like an infinite an yeah. infinity. Yeah. It's it's absolutely unfathomable for the human consciousness to even wrap their mind around. Yeah. I, but that's yeah. also I think what? I've seen it. It's very confusing. <laughs> I think I've seen it too. I think that is where where some of uh, some psychedelic exploration uh, yeah. can, for people who are interested in that kind of realm, yeah. um, can very much lift the veil for people so that they can be reminded of how wild and mysterious the world that we're living yeah. in and experiencing um, is. Yeah. Because every time I hear someone say like, oh, I'm bored, I go, I lean back and I go, are you sure you're bored? Because we are floating around on a giant rock in outer space around a massive fireball (laughs) that is providing us with light energy that is literally like fueling all of existence. And if that does not like inject some sort of wonder in you, uh, then you're missing some things. 
and our atmosphere that keeps us alive is almost non-existent. <laughs> compared, I mean, it's 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 negligible compared to the Earth itself. Yeah, it's like a skin that doesn't exist, like a bubble. Yeah, yeah. It's From so us, wild. it looks like a huge bubble. Yeah. From Earth scale, it looks like nothing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, that is so crazy. I mean, like, how many miles do you have to go? To even get out, I mean, that's not uh, that much, right? If you get yeah, 100 miles, you're in, uh, you're in definitely in the atmosphere. Wow. Oh, not even, shoot. Yeah, not even close. You're 100,000 feet, you'd be, yeah, 100,000 feet. Jeez. And you're out of the atmosphere. And you're, in your, you're so high in the atmosphere that there's, you, you're almost no like no air molecules whatsoever unbelievable yeah. in this space <sighs> yeah it's wild yeah that's, that's wild. crazy yeah and if you think of you know 100 miles that's huge compared to that mm-hmm. but yeah you're deep in space 100 miles yeah yeah it's a thin thin layer of nothing keeping us alive Mm-hmm. That we don't, we have zero respect for, yeah. none whatsoever. Right. We don't even respect this earth. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Well, again, I think we are we are in a space right now where the world and everything that's going on in it right now appears to be extra chaotic. Yeah. Um, you know, there's always chaos going on in the world, but right now there seems to be a substantial amount. And you know, I've been asking myself why and what could have possibly, why, why have we found ourselves in this predicament? And I think people, especially in our like Western culture, have found themselves in a space where we are putting like individuality and and like that self-expression on a pedestal and essentially it's the wrong self-expression it's the small self-expression where we're creating and constructing all of these identities and we found ourselves mm-hmm. in all of these different di- identities that we've accumulated <laughs> throughout our whole life. Just all of these different identities that we're failing to recognize the identity that really unites us as a whole. Like, what are those unifying identities that we can really cling on to and, and kind of see that fraternity in? Mm-hmm. And and we see it in our culture across the board, like everything is tribalized and we've diverted and dissected ourselves into small facts uh, that are competing against one another. Mm-hmm. And I would love to get up in orbit at some point <laughs> and just be able to orbit the earth and look down and if each and every one of us was able to do that, I think we would see that there is a world teeming with life. And each bit of that world is feeding itself with the other parts. Mm-hmm. Like all of these ecosystems are breathing life into 
adjacent ecosystems. Yeah. We're mostly a closed system. Right. Yeah. Except we do get energy from the sun, but mm-hmm. I mean, we're mostly a closed system. Right. And we need this. We need this place. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, we're all part of it. we're all we we need to find the things that are uni- uniting us and unifying us mm-hmm. together instead of looking for, you know, those battle lines that we can draw. Yeah. And that's what I'm hoping will happen once people start to kind of alter and shift their idea of, of the spiritual path and in their relationship to the God concept, you know, cause it's so many people in our culture right now in Western culture, cringe at the term God. And I try not to use it as much as possible. Cause I think there's other things like, life force or like the life experience that's happening or the universe or all of these kind of less religious terms. But the idea of what that term actually is, is something that everyone needs to be meditating on because that concept is not and should not ever refer to a bearded guy who's ripped Hanging so, out in so the clouds. Pretty white dude. Yeah. yeah. Hanging Probably out in not. the clouds, like <laughs> judging you for masturbating. <laughs> like exactly. yeah. you should mm. yeah. 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 He like the thing is the concept of God is this is it comes down to that root philosophical thought of um I think therefore I am. Is we can we can come back to this idea that there is something we can agree that something is happening right now. There's an experience and there's an event that is happening right now. And the fact that we're even thinking or talking about it means that something is happening. Yeah. Right. And, and it should make everyone feel a little strange. We should kind of be curious. We should definitely be curious about why anything is happening as opposed to nothing happening. But it, it, the weird thing to me is, it's like, okay, just let's just take the concept of God, period, right? Mm-hmm. However you conceive that, you're going to be wrong. Yeah. No matter what. I, I, I don't care who you are, where you came from. The idea is just way beyond us. No matter what you want to do. Now, you, you might think, okay, so can we meditate into understanding that? No, we really can't. I think what we can do is figure out what we're not. Because that's kind of where, it, well, I maybe, and you, you, you answer this question for me because maybe I'm not there yet. I've kind of figured out what I'm not, which... You know, I, which leads to me, me to believe that, okay, I'm kind of sitting in a, a, a rental body, you know, just like a rental car that I'll be turning in someday and I don't care what happens to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm some sort of energy being. I don't really know what the hell that is. I know I can get out of my body and do other things, which is interesting. Um, but the meditation it's basically me shutting everything down 
so I could get that view. Mm -hmm. But I don't, I don't feel like I've got a better understanding of what a God is. Mm -hmm. And I don't really understand what I am, but I more understand what I'm not, Mm -hmm. which is at least freeing to me because I'm not stuck in the, you know, I've got to worry about what everybody's thinking about me, or I've got to worry about, you know, whether or not my car is the right car, or my clothes are the right clothes, or I Amy, mean, just the stupid stuff that we most people spend their days on, I believe. Right. I was there mm-hmm. um, before I gave away all my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> How free. <laughs> Which was free. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I mean, what do you think about me? Can you get a better view of God? I, I, so you, I don't know. You were spot on when you were saying, you know, you can't describe. You, I could never sit someone down and be like, let me describe God to you. And, and then just you explain all the qualities of God because that concept is, is right there, a concept that then diverts you away from yeah. what God is. But, well, first but of all, you're using a language that exactly you know that, that's what I was right exists about just between us, right? Right. the The language itself is a huge limit. Prevents you from really understanding because I could say a word, and there's so many words um, that have many meanings, and then will be interpreted in a slightly variant way, mm-hmm. and and then I'll be saying a sentence and. 10 people will interpret that sentence in a different way. So mm-hmm. the Zen masters and the, the gurus and all of them have had the impossible job of describing the ineffable, right? It's just describing the undescribable, mm-hmm. but it must be done because if it's not done, then people, people will not ever just get at, get at it. So they have this, this duty to try to draw people towards what it is. And all you can really do is point in the direction of it, but you can never give a detailed explanation of exactly what it is. So you can point in the direction of it. And through meditation, you can, you can experience, I believe you can experience God. I believe you can too. Yeah. And I've been in that, um, I've gone through meditation where my my body ceased to exist. Mm-hmm. My breath ceased to exist. I literally was figured, I, I figured, okay, I'm dying. <laughs> I'm dying. I'm, I'm done. Yeah. And once I broke path, past that, I got into this state of bliss that was so incredible that... I literally felt guilty. I literally felt like I didn't deserve this. That has never happened to me before in my life. I always figured whatever. I never looked at anything and said, well, this is just better than who I am or something, you know, and and it's not because of my ego. It's just, I, it's never occurred to me. Mm-hmm. And I had heard that you can get into a state where you would feel shameful that you're feeling so good and and i figured that would never be me 
mm-hmm. and and sure enough it happened and mm-hmm. i've been in these you feel there's so much love and so much energy and so much everything and you're just going okay so i think i'm i think i'm touching this energy i think it's consuming me um i literally i thought i was never going to be back in here again because i thought i had died uh through my meditation mm-hmm. and um i think my indian friend told me that it was something called sumadhi which is like you it, basically sumadhi. you can in you can you can uh, meditate and you don't come back mm-hmm. and i'm like well that didn't happen to me well so. samadhi samadhi is essentially that the realm of enlightenment where you are fully unified yes and well, fully and unification some, means yeah. your body doesn't exist well same. some people i mean if you stay in samadhi they say you can just evaporate yeah. <laughs> and yes. that's what i heard <laughs> and but you can also not yeah. and you can just stay and that's essentially what the bodhisattva is where the bodhisattva decides oh i'm going to stay here and just interact with it because why not yeah and and one of the the most beautiful things about meditation and uh, why i believe that meditation could save the world <laughs> if we all did it um is because right now when i whenever i ask you know anybody you know point to your body who are you though They'll point to, you know, their physical structure with their legs and their arms and their feet. But no, nobody really waves their, their finger in a circle above their head yeah. <laughs> and, <clears throat> and points to everything. Um, nobody seems to recognize their body as this environment that they're sitting in, yeah. um, that they're experiencing. And, you know, people will be like, oh, how could you, how could you point to your environment? It's constantly changing every time you leave the room. And uh, what people don't realize is that your body is constantly changing, like all the time. Like, who were you when you were five years old or 10 years old? That person, that five-year-old with the 10-year-old, that body is completely gone. It's not there anymore. It, in some people will be like, well, that was still me. Well, was it though? Or what was it? What was it? Yeah. Who was if that? It, if, if you are your body, then your body every few years changes out mm-hmm. completely. So there's a great, um, there's a great uh, passage. I think a Zen master said, he said, if I were to put you on a table and cut off your legs, would you still be you? And people go, oh, yeah, of course. And and then he goes, well, what if I cut off your arms and you're just a torso? Are you still you? And they go, yeah. Yeah, okay, well, what if I, you know, took out all your organs but still put you on, you know, life support and you were still fully functional and cognitively coherent? Are you still you? And they're like, yeah. And then at what level can we continue to dissect and dissect and dissect to the point where we don't identify ourselves as the body anymore if we were to take the brain out and put it in a bat are we still you or what if we could take our conscious experience out of our body 
fully and have an out-of-body experience, like something like you've had, are you still you? And then what is the persistent you that continues on even out of this physical body? That is uh, a question to meditate on. Mm-hmm. Because when we can get to the bottom of that you, and that's what meditation is so great, when we can start peeling away the things that aren't us, you know, the identity that we've built up, the brand that we've built up, you know, the accumulation of wealth and clothing and cars and houses and our, our business life and all of these accumulations. When we start peeling away all of those things, what is the thing that remains as the you or the I? Mm-hmm. And what is the thing? What is the thing that is perceiving those things? There's this idea in meditation where say so you're not your thoughts. You are the thing perceiving your thoughts, witnessing your thoughts. Mm-hmm. What is the witness? The witnessing perspective of our thoughts. We can th- look at our thoughts almost like we're looking at a painting on the wall. And that is it's just this mysterious thing. That's when we're starting to draw closer to that God entity. When we read about Hinduism or we read about Eastern philosophies, they have a very different perspective. It is not like this legalistic idea of Christianity where God says, yeah. you know, here's this contract to, right. you know, you accept Jesus. Pat your head, you yeah. can do that. Exactly. Take Jesus into your heart and then follow these stipulations and here's the Ten Commandments and all of these like legal terms. But in in this Eastern philosophy, they're saying, well, there is this essentially this one spirit or this life force or God that is living through everything. And that energy living through everything is living the lives of everything simultaneously wearing all the different masks wearing all the different costumes pretending that it isn't itself just for the play (laughs) or the drama and and that's a pretty exciting thought i think when people start to think about the possibility of that it opens up the possibility to relax our our ideas of what our body really is maybe our body isn't just this physical structure but perhaps it is this thing i like to call the sensorium it is the accumulation of all of our our perceived realities and saying okay there's almost like we're living in a bubble and our senses are attached it's like we're a a neuron or a node that is experiencing a certain portion a small portion of the infinite reality beaming it back into that life universe of infinite experiences more like that hearing and sight and touch and taste and all of these senses compiling our own little pond within you know a small area of land that eventually will seep into the ground and float into the ocean. Yeah, maybe I I 
it'd be great to know. <laughs> it would be. You know? It would be. <laughs> you know, I look at some of this and I think, you know, could we be in some sort of simulation? That's another right? one. It's another like, one. If we're in a simulation, you know, what is it for? Are we here to learn? Are we here to grow? Are we here to, you know, prepare ourselves to become part of that single energy? Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't, if we go into it in the fear mode, like we could corrupt that potentially. Um, who knows? I mm-hmm. mean, there's so many different things. Um when we continue to explore all of those ideas, so like that simulation theory or that that unity of, of um, Hinduism that they're talking about, all of these different ideas then have you like reflecting on how you want to engage and interact in the world that we're living in presently. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of people that feel the need because of the accumulations that they've accumulated to play in all of it, you know, very safe and very seriously. And, you know, if you have people depending on you, of course, it's good to take them into account, but the seriousness that everyone goes through life, um, there's the, I forgot who said it, but um, I think it was, Aubrey Marcus, but I think he was quoting another person. He said, nothing is serious and nothing is as serious as life. Nothing is as serious as life or death, even life or death. And I think that's a a beautiful way to go about it is every time we find ourselves getting riled up or reeled up about something, oh, this has to be done at this amount of deadline, blah, 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 blah. It's, it's never life or death, yeah. even if it's yeah. life or death. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I spent most of my life worrying about stuff that didn't matter. And uh, now, now I, I look at this place and I'm like, well, I'm really into meditation because at least it's, showing me what it, you know it, it's showing me the what i'm not mm-hmm. um it's i i'm not sure i can actually define or even try and i should even try and define what i am um because it, no matter what i come up with i'm going to be wrong mm-hmm. um so That is why all those spiritual traditions, they say, strip yourself of all of your identity first. Mm -hmm. So all of your accumulations, everything through meditation, consistently remove that identity, that perception of who you think you are. And over time, you'll find yourself in this ineffable place. Yeah. And... As you sit there, you'll gain insight into the nature of things. And then through the nature of things, then you can come back and then re-engage with the world in a way where you're fully engaged. Mm-hmm. And, and that it's a, a liberation of, of like, oh, you don't have to do anything that you don't want to do. 
it's this liberation uh, because then you don't fear death and you don't fear there's no you recognize the temporal time frame of the world that we're living in we also recognize the eternal nature of time and we realize like the gravity of the situation isn't so grave it's actually very relaxing yeah there's nothing that needs to be done because everything that has to be done will be done yes so we then are liberated and free to interact with the world how we'd like to interact with it with the understanding that there's a unified nature to things yeah and if we can recognize that then we don't need a moral system or an ethical code it's like i would never cut my finger off because i recognize it as part of my body but likewise if i see you as ron version of me if i see you as part of my body if i see everything and everyone as a part of my body then i'm going to engage with it in a very different way than if it's me versus everybody correct and the other thing that you'll have 2020 vision on is is the not seeing in value not seeing value in invaluable things in, in in things that have no value mm-hmm. um so you're yeah I, I mean i've spent a lot of time i lived in southern california i lived on the beach in southern california i mean i've had nice things i've had nice cars i've had nice everything and, mm-hmm. and there's no value in any of that shit mm-hmm. um Well, what is value? You know, value again, like we were talking about is, is similar to when we created rulers and when we created clocks, it's, we created money to symbolize. It's just a symbol for wealth essentially. And, uh, but the thing is, is it's, it's a human creation again. So us as humans have said this is the value of this this is the value of that yeah but you you also get trapped in that you know part of it is the whole group thing thing because Mm -hmm. everybody else values that well i should value that you know Mm -hmm. now there's scarcity yeah there's (laughs) not everybody can have one of those yeah you know there's all that nonsense going on Mm -hmm. um and then you you literally get trapped in that and you start thinking about not just the physical things but you know, my thoughts need to align with other people. And that's where we get in a lot of trouble too. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, people don't, people act way more foolish in crowds than they would um, by themselves. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. And we're seeing that all over the place now. But, yeah, I don't know. Just craziness. So you're, the other thing that was interesting with me, it's like I've I've done... I've gotten into a few things as I into the psychedelics mm-hmm. and you're, you're telling me that you had spent some time in the Amazon. Yeah. And you spent some time doing the ayahuasca trips, right? Like yeah. you've done quite a few. Right. That I've never done. Yeah. But if you can share some insight on that. For that sure. Be... It's a, it's a very wild experience and I liken it uh, for people who, you know, say if you were to come down as an alien and 
be a human for, for a year. And they're like, Oh, what are the human experiences I want to get, you know, in my confined time? You know, people would be like, okay, you got to eat sushi. <laughs> you got to, you got to have sex and you should also try ayahuasca. Um, ayahuasca is one of those experiences that are so profound that it's almost unimaginable that the human consciousness is capable of experiencing a space like that. Um, It totally reconfigures your concept of, of time and space and what we're doing here, but in a really beautiful, amazing way where it essentially holds this mirror up to your identity and the things that you believe are, are real. And, and it has a mirror that you can engage with. And, you know, ayahuasca is this incredible combination of these two plants, which is mimosa hostilis and banister copy. And one is an MAOI inhibitor and the other is dimethyltryptamine. And the MAOI inhibitor allows the dimethyltryptamine to become orally active. And this is a medicine that the shamans down the Amazon have been brewing for thousands of years. And when you ask them how how they came about the knowledge originally, they said that the plants told them like through dreams and and they see the world in a very different way than than how we see it here where they believe that there is a spirit that is living through everything and even the plants have a spirit living in them that they like to interact with the rest of the world just like we do Mm -hmm. and so when you consume a plant with any kind of properties but that effect that it has on your body is essentially the consciousness of that plant so likewise when you're engaging with a psychedelic uh, plants it's their consciousness the spirit of that plant coming in and engaging with your spirit mm-hmm. and i was going through you know since i was in middle school i had always thought that being in the Amazon jungle would be like the epitome of adventure. Yeah. There's nothing more adventurous. Maybe you spent a life there. At some point. Yeah, I think so. Maybe. But, um, I, <laughs> when I was 10, I, I met my, uh, my best friend's grandma who was a shaman. And she, when I found out about shamanism as a 10 year old, I was like, Oh my God, there are people who aren't Christian who are finding God in nature. And I love nature. Yeah. Nature is so cool. And I was like, Oh man, it'd be so cool to be a shaman. And she talked to me about it for a little bit. And she ended up doing this, these animal readings, like my animal totems. And so in shamanism, they have this concept of, um, all the sacred directions, which are north, south, east, west, above, below, inside, out, left, and right. And there's a spirit animal totem or guardian that that oversees all of those areas. 
all of those directions. It's almost like an astrological chart in, in sorts, but in shamanism, they, they, they recognize this form follows function kind of thing. And, and if you meditate on the individual aspects of nature, you'll find out that the qualities of those plant harbor certain secrets or um, the qualities of an animal will teach you certain things. You mm -hmm. just have to meditate on it, spend time with it. So she gave me this full layout of, um, of my totems. And then the left and the right are your power animals and you like choose them. It's essentially like this tarot deck style where they're using like the randomization of, uh, of the cards to allow the universal mm -hmm. flow to like move through those cards. And, um, and then the left and the right you choose. And I forgot about it. And then 10 years later when I'm 20, I was going through this huge spiritual upheaval where I was kind of distancing myself from my Christian upbringing. And I went through this whole atheist phase. And then I went into this deep search through Hinduism, Buddhism, and shamanism, and Taoism. And, but shamanism really took hold of me. And I remember talking to Therese and I called her up 10 years later and I said, Therese, like I'm learning about shamanism right now. I'm studying it. Um, do you by chance remember um, doing that animal totem reading? Like I'd like to do one of those ceremonies. Is there any way um, we can do one of those? And she goes, oh no, you can only do it one time. And she's like, and I've kept your reading for 10 years. Right. And I was like, whoa. And so she gives me the reading and she goes through all this symbolism of everything. And I mean, it was, it was profound because each direction represents a certain thing. So like the West is where the sun sets and it's representative of the physical universe and how everything is temporal and, and um, it's like kind of like the sacred death while the East is like where the sun rises and it represents the future and it represents new beginnings. And then the North represents your ancestral chain and like the link that you there want to These be. cards that they're physically laying out like North, South, East, West kind of thing when, when you were going through that or, um, or was that just a... She had like a specific style in which she okay. did it, but she she essentially would go through and, and put them in those regions. So okay. she had kind of a certain mapping in her mind on how she would, was laying them out. Um, and, and so it got through all of these, these, um, these animals. And I was like, Oh my God, that it's fitting. It's so fitting to my character and personality. But then when it got to the left and the right, which were the, the animals that I chose as a 10 year old, I chose the lynx for my left side, which is um, the keeper of secrets. And the right, my masculine side, is the jaguar. And the jaguar is the mark of the shaman. Mm -hmm. Because in shaman shamanistic cultures, they had always seen the jaguar as like a shapeshifter essentially like the shaman would shape shift into jaguars and the jaguar into a shaman and the jaguar 
would eat the banister copy vines and have this hallucinogenic experience, almost like catnip, but like mm-hmm. ayahuasca version with the jaguar. Yeah. yeah. Right. And um, yeah. And so the plants, you know, the jaguar was seen as this creature that was in, in the in-between. The shaman is seen as someone who is, is the bridge in between the physical and the energetic universe mm-hmm. and acts as a guide to guide people across that space. And so I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. Like, this is exactly what I'm supposed to do. Like, I'm supposed to be a shaman. Like, oh my God, this is incredible. And so I got really deep into you know, nature and I started seeing all these, like, I would do meditations out in nature and start pulling just it's incredible what will pop into your mind just by observing something. And then I started feeling this harmony. Like I remember one day I was in the Florida Keys. No, I was down in the Southern tip of Florida and um, we were with some families and we were out. We had rented like some sort of property down there. And I wanted to just sleep in my hammock, like, on the beach mm. and just meditate and be with the ocean. And, and, um, and I had one of my parents' friends, he was like, Matt, you better be careful because, uh, there's, there's pumas out there, like jungle, like yeah. Everglade, oh, yeah. like, uh, cats <laughs> that will. And so I go out there at night and I'm like kind of freaked out. I'm in high, I'm in a college at the time. And, I'm like kind of freaked out. I'm like, oh my God, like I'm, I'm nervous um, that something's going to prowl up. I couldn't tell that he was joking or not. And I was like, yeah, I think there's, there are in the Everglades. I'm pretty sure. And, um, and so I remember at night going to sleep and I was like, well, one of my totems of the West is an armadillo. And I was like, I'd never seen an armadillo before. But I was like, I'm going to just visualize an armadillo kind of rolling up in a ball around me in my hammock. And once I started doing that, I found great comfort in it. And I felt pers- like very uh, relaxed. And when I woke up in the morning, I get out of the hammock. I lean up in the hammock. And I was near a trail. And down the trail is an armadillo coming away from my hammock up into a bush and I'd never seen one in my entire life and it was like this synchronistic moment where my spirit started binding with the spirit of nature yeah I remember a, uh, uh, like a hawk flew over me and it was an osprey actually. And I, I was like, Oh my God, I would love a feather uh, because I have this Mesa. It's like this spiritual space that I've built in my house over the span of many years, I think eight years um, that I maintain and bring with me everywhere I go, um, everywhere I move. And I was like, oh, I'd love an osprey feather to kind of remember this moment. And all of a sudden, I think that my mind goes blank and I hear, go right under the osprey. And 
as I'm walking over to it, a feather falls from the osprey down onto the ground. Yeah, and neat. I'm given a feather. So anyway, this is charging me and it's charging me. I'm like, oh my gosh, shamanism is the coolest thing. Like I'm living in this harmonious, like beautiful world. And it was so invigorating. And I was like, I want to be a shaman at some point. Like I'm going to go do that for sure. And I had always been meditating. I was like, when should I go down to the Amazon? When should I go down to the Amazon over a span of years? And what would happen was I had built this concept in my meditations where I've explored many different varieties and types of meditation, but the concept of like building this energetic structure of myself that I would refer to as higher self. My higher self was the wisest version of me. And whenever I was unclear, I could always say, why the self, what, what, what am I going to do? And I was essentially building this element in my personality. And I would continually say like, why the self, when should I go down to the Amazon? And I would allow my mind to go completely clear after posing the question. And I would sit and watch which thoughts would pop up into this empty space. And I would get the same answer every single time, which was, you will know when to go down when no other path, when there's no other path forward. I was like, oh my God, this is kind of ominous. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. um, <laughs> and, and so I very randomly um, started modeling and I was getting signed like all over the world. Um, like in Chicago and LA and New York and Milan. And, um, and when I went to New York the second time, I was actually traveling with my girlfriend at the time. And we moved to New York. I wanted to go to LA, but she really wanted to go to New York. And so we went to New York and we went and I didn't sign at a modeling agency and then she broke up with me and then New York so expensive just like drained me of my money and I had a hundred and fifty dollars less less than a hundred fifty dollars in my bank account so my career had seemingly been erased like if I couldn't sign in New York like how can I continue modeling like if I I don't have this girlfriend that I dated for five years at that point. And, and then like, I just had no money and I was just devastated. I was in this very dark place where I felt like the world was collapsing in on me and there was just nothing, um, no path forward. <laughs> ding, ding. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. And yeah, I was going through New York in a very rough space like i remember standing at the at the train station and the train would pull up and i just remember like in my mind's eye like i would see someone coming up behind me and shoving me in front of the train or i remember going down the street and there was this little 
someone had died and there was a, a candle, kind of a memorial on the stoop remembering this person. I walked past and I looked and when I blinked, the candle tipped over and lit the ground on fire and engulfed me in flames. And it wasn't like I wanted to kill myself, but it was like the, I felt like the world was killing me. Yeah. <laughs> and you've got these images that are like just consistent. To... Yeah. Like consistent. And it was, I was so depressed and, and my girlfriend immediately found this other model and just started talking to them. We were living on this small futon in like a closet sized room with five other roommates. It was just crazy. And, and I was just like at this lowest point and I had all of this like anger about this other guy and meditation honestly like saved my life where it was just like, I remember thinking, like if I were, if I like harbor this anger towards this person, it's not doing me anything. It is, it is essentially like if I were to meet this guy in different circumstances, my girlfriend at the time, she has a really good sense of who good people are. Mm -hmm. And, and I was like, if I were to meet him in, under different circumstances, I'd probably be friends with him. But it's only the circumstances that are, are making me harbor anger. Yeah. And I released my anger. And then I realized, like, this is the moment I'm supposed to go down to the Amazon. Yeah. There's no other path forward. And I was like, oh, my God, maybe all of this is happening to push me to go to the Amazon. Yeah. How many more doors need to close? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and immediately the next day, like I, I get up and I'm like, I'm fine. I'm going to be good. The next day, my agent in Miami calls me up and he goes, Matt, remember that guy who hasn't paid you in a year? Well, he just paid you and you have a $4,000 check waiting for you. And I was like, yeah. Oh my God. So now I have money to go down to the Amazon. I call one of my best friends. She's just like the coolest most adventurous person that I know just like whatever she like she'll think of an idea for an adventure and just go full force like she climbs mountains and goes paragliding off the mountains like she's That's just awesome. living life to the fullest and I love her so much um and I call her up and I was like I was like Kaylee I need to go on an adventure with you like right now and I was like where are you going next and she goes well i'm, I'm going to be in canada soon and i want to drive from canada down to peru and i was like oh my god <laughs> that would be a crazy adventure yeah so we start planning for six months i get in touch with this shaman down in in terrapoto and i'm like i want to apprentice under you and and I want to just be there for as long as possible and do as much ayahuasca as possible. And after six months of planning, Kaylee ends up not being able to go. And, and we ended up going to Burning Man beforehand. And leading up to this experience, I uh, hung out with a bunch of people. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go down to the Amazon and 
like live with this shaman. I'm so excited. Like I'm just gonna apprentice on a shaman. Like I want to become a shaman. That'd be so awesome. And I had three different people and three different experiences both stopped me during my story and they all said, I think you're gonna get down there and go through this whole thing and realize that you've been doing shamanic work this whole time. And I was like, oh like the first time I was like, oh that's really nice. Thank you. And the second time I was like whoa cool thank you and the third time it happened i was like whoa this is a sign yeah and i go down to peru um within the first two weeks i'm you know traveling all around just seeing the layout of all of peru and it is so diverse and and it, it's got like these beautiful sandy beaches, but then it's got jungle, then it's got mountains. It's just an incredible, enriching, biodiverse place. It is absolutely incredible. And anyone who who has a chance to get down there, absolutely go do it. But I ended up going to Cusco. And for 10 days, I was just exploring Cusco, which is just an incredible, beautiful place with a lot of um, Incan history to it and it is just so mystical you can feel something extremely special there that's where you can do Machu Picchu hikes mm-hmm. and uh, Rainbow Mountain is one of the most incredible places that I've ever seen it feels like you're in a, a alien universe where these like mountains of rainbow colored minerals everywhere it's just incredible um, but then right before I'm about to head to Terrapoto, two days before I'm about to head to Terrapoto, I hear from one of the locals that Terrapoto isn't considered the Amazon jungle. It's considered the Highland jungle. And I was like, oh my God, my whole life I've envisioned myself being in the a- Amazon. Like, I don't want any asterisks on this story. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. And after all of this planning that I'd done two days before I'm about to go, I cancel $550 worth of plane tickets and I get a new plane ticket to Iquitos, which is the biggest remote city in the world. Meaning you can only get there by boat or airplane. You cannot drive. And I fly in. It's like northeast Peru, the very east, into the Amazon jungle. Yeah. And for five days, I'm living in this hostel. I'm wandering around this small, small city. And I'm just talking to everybody, asking them. It's like a shamanic ayahuasca hub. I'm asking them, who's a reputable shaman that I can go train under? And... I finally find this guy who is, he said that he had come from a 15 person village, three and a half hours by boat from the Amazon jungle. And he came in for supplies. And if he wanted to um, like train under me, like I could, I could go. And I was like, okay, let's go. And I, next thing you know, like the next day we're off and we're on this boat going three and a half hours. And some people from the hostel 
there was two people, one from, um, one from Holland and another from Turkey. Um, they wanted to come too. And the person from Turkey did one ayahuasca session and she was like, I'm out of here. I can't do <laughs> yeah. this. And then the other guy, he stayed, I think a week and a half. And, and I was living there for two months doing ayahuasca like every other day. And usually when people go down, they'll do like one, one trip or three trips. Mm -hmm. But I ended up doing 15 ayahuasca ceremonies and then five Wachuma ceremonies, which is the San Pedro cactus. With, uh, it's like a mescaline based mm -hmm. um, plant. And and each one of those ceremonies just completely dissolved like my sense of ego and identity and merged me into a place that was so profound that it was is to say there was a life changing experience was you know it doesn't do it justice that's there's it peeled back these veils that that were so entrenched that like you can't ever see the world like I used to. I don't even really remember what how I used to see that world. It was it was really incredible. But you see this life force that's living through everything, and you see like creatures or entities that appear to be living in peripheral dimensions like dimensions that are very close to ours but mm -hmm. are imperceivable to us and that is it's it's a sound it's astounding and it, and it brings back a certain glee and mystery in the world that we had when we were kids when we looked at everything, we're like, oh my God, yeah, everything's, awesome. <laughs> everything's awesome. And you go and you check it out and you're like, whoa. And it's, it brings that back. And, and it also brings in some intense, intense experiences. Like I had three experiences that simulated me having a heat stroke and dying. And I fully, fully thought that I was having a heat stroke and dying and that I wasn't going to make it out. And those quote unquote bad trips, um, or weren't bad. And I don't think anyone should be worried about having an experience like that because those trips are the trip yeah, that yeah. you really should aspire towards. Because yes. when, when you get to die before you actually die, you wake up the next day with a, with an incredible vibrance and a glowing and an appreciation for life like you've never had before. Yeah. And when, when everything dissolves on your deathbed and you realize I was sitting there, I was like, I just went through college. <laughs> what was all that about? I just wasted all that time. I, you know, have been thinking about these things or doing that thing and, and maybe not paying attention to certain people yeah. that I should have been giving more attention to. And, and as I'm dissolving away, it was like, 
the actuality of, I mean, my first trip, I'll even walk you through portions of it just so people can get an idea. But we would do it at like 8 p.m. And in the Amazon, it was just pitch black by then. This was in October. And you'd hear all of the insects and all of the birds and all of everything that's in that jungle come to life. And it's just this giant symphony of sound. It's truly incredible. And we'd be sitting with just one candle lit in this shed boarded thing with tons of holes where all the mosquitoes were coming in and cockroaches and every, it was not a glamorous place to be, but it was the most incredible place simultaneously. And and we would drink this cup bigger than a shot glass, probably twice the size of a shot glass, maybe. And it was the most foul tasting thing you'd ever tasted. It was like drinking chemical mud that it was so bitter and so overpowering. Like you have to put it down in as little gulps as possible. Like, one gulp, maybe two, just get it down. Yeah. And for years after even talking about it, I would get shivers because that's how intense that flavor was. It was, it was wild, but so worth it. Was it good? Old and old shoe <laughs> kind of like there's this, I tasted this a like gritty, a gritty, muddy, chemical, flavor that is I don't know if you've ever tried kava kava um, but it is like yeah this oh, it was just it's incredible it's incredibly overpowering but it shows like you gotta go through this first in order to really get these yeah, secrets you gotta want this. yeah you really gotta want it and it's not something that you're gonna get addicted to by any means no the people that I know almost to a T, almost everybody I know that wants to do ayahuasca, I believe would be scared to death of it. I think they know, I think they believe they know themselves and I don't believe they do. And they, and from what I've heard about ayahuasca, it's kind of a truth teller. Like if you're, if you're fooling yourself, you're going to learn that. Oh yeah. And, um, which to me, I think would be the best thing that could happen to anybody. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's the single person that you don't want to lie to is yourself. Uh huh. And it's not going to let you bullshit it. No. From what I understand, it is like the truth finder. It's the truth teller. And if you went down and you had like all these experiences like that, then you were probably already at least honest with yourself about what the hell was going on. And then you just got to learn. But mm-hmm. I think what happens first is uh, they firmly put you on, on, on the truth track. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I think from the people that I know that have done it, um, that's, those are the ones that were like, Oh yeah. So yeah, I thought I, I thought I knew something until I did this Mm -hmm. and then they learned. Um, 
which to me is interesting. I, I don't believe, but nor does anybody believe that, you know, they're, they're lying to themselves. So it'd be interesting. I, it would be interesting for me to take, do an ayahuasca trip. I would, I'd really want to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's again. Uh, and I've dissolved many times. <laughs> yeah. Died many times. Yeah. I had one night where I actually like collected myself and then just made myself die. Yeah. And I did it maybe a hundred times that night. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting. Yeah. Well, it's so powerful. I mean, yeah. there's this, there's this stigma against having quote unquote bad trips, but I don't really believe there's any bad trips unless you end up in jail or the hospital. Yeah. Um, anything when done under the right circumstances where you approach it with uh, pure intention and you're, you're saying, this is what I want to experience. This is what I'm looking for. Please provide me the answers or, or show me what I need to see and, and approach it with some respect. Yes. Um, that's the kind of, you know, circumstances where you're going to get a lot of incredible therapeutic um, space, like effects out of it. Yeah. Uh, I, I truly believe that it's like, it's like what discovering the microscope for biology is like yeah. psychedelics oh, yeah. for, for psychology is, for sure. is our microscope is our telescope. It is, something that we've needed so badly and to have it we now need to put in the proper context because we come from a culture where we use substances and the real only substances that we use are alcohol and tobacco and alcohol we use in a very different way than how we want to use psychedelics and so (laughs) approaching it with that respect is is paramount but with that with that ayahuasca journey the like that one of the dying ceremonies that i had the that second it was my second ceremony i had taken my cup and the i waited like an hour and 45 minutes and just nothing happened and i started getting this thought strand coming through my mind i was like Oh, you really came all the way down to Peru to to not experience anything? Mm-hmm. It's like take another cup. Take another cup. And I was like, Why should I take another cup? I was like, You didn't want to come all the way down to Peru just to sit around and experience nothing. I was like, Maybe I should. I was like, take another cup. And I was like, wait, is this my voice? I was like, hmm. And so I was like, all right, Maestro, um, can I have another cup? And I was the only one speaking, you know, English in the village. Like I had to learn Spanish. And so I asked him, could I have another cup? He pours me another cup. And within five minutes, I am purging. (laughs) I am throwing up so hard. And I'm sitting in my chair and I start getting very, very hot. It is like 98 degrees, full humidity. And in the jungle, there is no running water. There's no electricity. You're not going to get a fan. You're not going to get any cold water anywhere to cool cold, you off. Cold, 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 wash there off. is no cold. <laughs> yeah, there is zero 
any escape from heat or humidity, you, you're done. Yeah. You're, you're that temperature. And I'm sitting there, you know, a guy from Michigan who, who's very used to the cold. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, oh my God, I'm overheating. I'm sitting in this wooden chair. And usually people will sit and lay down on something. Because when you have ayahuasca, it is like you've taken 21 beers and you stand up and you're like, whoa. And I remember I was like, I do not want like to use the restroom during an ayahuasca ceremony because that would be too much. And suddenly my stomach starts grumbling. I'm like, oh no, do not want to go to the bathroom. I'm like, no. And I feel like I had to. And so I go up, I stand up, I walk over to the bathroom, the bathroom, the toilet is like the porcelain bottom, but with no seat. And you had to take a bucket of water from the Amazon and pour that bucket down to flush it. And I go over to the bathroom and I look at the toilet and there's just like bugs and like cockroaches and everything like pouring out of the seat like in a vision essentially and this and this all of a sudden I start they're they're like flying at me and I'm like oh my god bad spirits Ah." (laughs) and they were like going at my face and I'm like pulling back and pulling back and like and the shaman sees me like struggling essentially like with spirits and the shaman comes up and he goes, Mateo, calmate, calmate. He's like, calm down. And I'm like looking at him and he's just holding his outstretched hand at me. It's just like very commanding, but calm. And I look at him and all of a sudden I turn down and I fall at his feet. And I'm looking at his feet. I'm like, oh my God, what happened? And all of a sudden, my body starts vibrating. And I start floating up out of my body all the way through the ceiling. And suddenly, I'm in this room where my friends and family are. And everybody is sobbing and they're all wearing black. And I realize that I'm at my funeral. And I'm seeing everyone just tortured with sadness and they're screaming oh my god why did matt go to the amazon and do drugs (laughs) and i was like oh my god i am that guy i am i just went through my whole life and now i just died in this random village in the amazon they're never going to find my body they're never going to get closure they don't know exactly where i am and my parents and my family are going to be plagued with this, this sadness of what happened to my oldest child. (laughs) Like, and all the things that I had done up until that point, I realized are, there's nothing to that. All the, all the things that I've accomplished, nothing, (laughs) nothing. All the accomplishments are not real. And, I was so just astounded and wild out. I go, Oh my God, I, c- I can't believe I'm dead. And all of a sudden I start blinking and my blinking and 
all of a sudden I blinked and I was still standing up with the shaman holding his hand out at me. And I went through this whole vision thinking I had died. And then suddenly I hear this voice and it says, I could fucking kill you right now. And I was like, whoa, please don't. (laughs) Wait, I just died. Yeah. And, and I was like, please don't. And I just saw that I went back to my hammock and I was in this hammock and it was just condensing all the heat. And I just saw this skull appear and it was opening its jaw and all of these like technicolored psychedelic snakes were coming out of its eyes and its nose and its mouth. And I was like, this is the symbol of death. I'm dying. And throughout the whole night, I'm just barely hanging on and, and essentially surrendering to this force of death and saying, all right, well, if it is my time to go, then I must. And at that moment, it's like this free liberation of realizing that we're not in control Mm. at all. We are more like a, a, a dancer. You know, we are dancing with it all. And when you're dancing, Alan Watts says, when you're dancing, you're not trying to get to the last movement. Like you're enjoying yeah, the flow. The flow. Right. When you're playing piano, you're not just getting to the last note. Yeah. You're playing with the whole sound of the music. Mm-hmm. And I woke up the next day literally glowing, just a vibrancy. I was looking out at the forest. I was like, this place is the most miraculous place it could possibly be. And I just continued on through these ceremonies. They were so intense and so expansive. They showed me, I, I mean, I could talk for hours about, these these ceremonies because i learned so much but in the end i you know i I got to the 15th ceremony and there was this ceremony that said you're not allowed to stay here and i was like well why not and it was like the things that you've learned won't be expressed down in the Amazon. You have to go back to where you come from and you have to talk about the things that you've experienced and, and use, use the, the plant medicines available to the people back home to show them what they can experience, what like the, the shamanic path, guide them through the shamanic path back at home and I, I got that whole you've been a shaman this whole time speech from the ayahuasca mm-hmm. and I was like oh my god it happened like this was crazy and then the next day I wake up and my shaman is in gut-wrenching pain just completely bedridden he's verbally going like ah something terrible was happening and 
immediately I started doing a ceremony on him. And within an hour, he was completely fine. Just continually going through his ichorosis and and doing this work, centering consciousness on on the energy that is occurring in that moment. And it's it's there is something to all of that that we're not in tune with anymore. Oh, that's for sure. And that is one of the biggest mysteries in it all. Is I would like, you know, I, I have the massive respect for science. I love science. I went to university and was in a neuroscience, working in a neuroscience lab. I love it. And it's gotten us some really cool gadgets mm-hmm. and some really fun um, and life and helpful things. Yeah, but, but there is a point where we need to evaluate who we are as a species, as humans, mm-hmm. and then ask ourselves, how do we be- become a full-fledged human? Right. We want to use all of the capabilities of being a human. And I think we've gotten, we've wandered off the path a little bit, and there's a lot of suffering and a lot of blaming and a lot of finger-pointing going on. And what we really need to do is count the fingers and where they're pointing. If we're ever extending a finger pointing towards someone, we see three fingers curled back pointing at ourselves. And we need to start doing some inner work. Um, And it's not always pretty. But with meditation and psychedelic tools, even mixing them together especially, we have the ability to overcome wild things thought to be immovable in our psychological understandings today um, with these insights. And if you were, a lot of people I believe just struggle with meditation in general. Mm -hmm. So there's like, there was a, you met him, um, Jeremiah, mm-hmm. here earlier. He was, I was talking to him about meditation. We were talking about how he can, uh, I, I wanted to show him kind of what he had to deal with, with like shutting down that inner voice, mm-hmm. you know? And I know there's ways you can work with that inner voice, but there's also, it's like, it, you have to understand what it is and it's that it's there and it's not really you and it's really hard to control and, so I said, you know, just take a breath, breathe in, and when you exhale, count. So you're going to just exhale your first breath. You're going to go one. And then as you inhale, just try and just tell yourself you're trying to get to two. Mm-hmm. So what you're doing is you're trying to not think of anything. You're trying to be in the now. You're trying to just breathe and just not really think, but just go one, I have to get to two, two, three, four. And I mm-hmm. said, see how many breaths, I said, doing that, how, how many breaths do you think you, you can count before you have an external thought from that system? Mm-hmm. And he was like, hundreds. And I said, you'll be lucky to get to 10. Surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Surprising. He came in the next morning. And he yelled, he, he just yells, six. <laughs> and I'm like, 
Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh-huh. So, you know, and I, and I told him to do that because it's like, I was t- telling him, I said, that voice isn't you. And, you know, he was dealing with some anxiety and some other things. And I said, yeah, it's, you know, a lot of that is just this thing that people call the ego. And you need to be able to shut it down to kind of figure out who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what are your suggestions for somebody that's starting out, like trying to figure out? And I, and I, the other thing that I tell people is that you, when you try it, you'll get these things that are just like enticements to keep you going. Like mm-hmm. the, you know, you may feel incredibly good one day or, or, you know, you'll be working and working and working, trying to clear your mind. You're trying to, you know, focus on that meditation thing. And then all of a sudden it becomes easy and you're not and you're not working all of a sudden and then it's just this bliss comes but what what do you what are your experiences that that you might be able to help people to at least start on this path mm-hmm. as opposed to becoming a like getting all the way to the end how do you start yeah well i think one of the the issues that people confront immediately is they're trying to learn meditation from teachers who unfortunately are boxing them into a style of meditation that's not going to be conducive for their overall understanding. And I've mentioned this previously a little bit with those types of meditations that are like, imagine yourself on a beach, blah, 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 blah. blah. And, and unfortunately, like we are not trying to use meditation as an escape. We're not trying to go somewhere else. We're trying to find the beach right here, right now. We don't want to wish that we were at a beach. We want to wish that we were here right now. And so the counting exercise that you told Jeremiah to do is uh, is a type of zazen um, where you're counting to 10. All you have to do is count to 10. That's it. Yeah. That's a, that's a that's a great starting one for someone who wants to embark on a Zen practice. Um, I like to utilize a lot of different techniques because there are so many diverse people out there who will learn in different ways. But there's a number of things that we can do. But we have to remember that meditation, we're doing it so that we can engage with the now point our consciousness with single pointed focus towards what is happening right now so one of the best things that i could advise someone to do even right now is to light a candle and if you were to put that candle maybe five feet from you just watch carefully that flame moving back and forth just a little bit, just dancing and, and being engrossed in the flame, moving back and forth. And then when you're breathing on an inhale and an exhale, feel the sensation. What is that sensation? And what does it feel like? 
when we're feeling the sensation, what is involved in that sensation? So we are actually feeling the sensation of our lungs expanding and then we're feeling the sensation of our lungs collapsing. And we're feeling the breath moving through our system in a very specific way. And this starts to get us involved with the energies of the now that are happening. Because that sensation is an energy that is moving through our system. Now, if, if it helps, you could count one to ten all the way. One, two. It's a good starter meditation because it's not complicated. Yeah. But what I like to do when I'm showing people meditation is I like to use this whirlpool of conscious now, is what I call it, where essentially we're pointing out different things that are happening in the present now. So we're feeling different sounds that are happening. We're noticing where those sounds are beginning and ending. And this is all happening right now. And we're looking through different present moment things that are happening now. And I feel the lungs expanding. And the lungs collapsing down into emptiness. Then we can feel the parts of our body that are actually touching the chair. Which parts of our body are actually touching the chair? These are all active things that we can assign our monkey brain. Mm -hmm. The monkey brain is this brain that's going wild everywhere and it needs things to do. So instead of letting it go wild, give it tasks that have to do with the present moment now that are consistent tasks. So then we'll do, we'll go through a run of all of these different present moment nows. And as we circle back to them, we go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And suddenly we're looking at our mind and we're looking at thoughts almost like appearing as clouds in a sky. And when a thought comes, it's very important for people to recognize the thought almost like it's a person knocking on the front door of your house saying, hey, can I come in? And would we want that person, if they were a thought, mm -hmm. coming into our space? Would we invite them in or would we turn them away at the door? And those are the things that we start to see when we develop our meditation practice. You can also go through the muscles and say, okay, where are we holding tension in the body? In fact, if I were to ask you, you know, close your eyes and look at your body. What you're actually going to do is close your eyes and you'll note areas of tension in the body. We actually identify our body as our tension. Yeah, that's a shame. Which yeah. is a shame. <laughs> and so when we start to release that tension through breath, we can inhale into the tension and exhale, removing and relaxing the tension. We start to remove a tension energy that is in our system. And when we start to release ourselves from tension energy, we start to release ourselves from tense mind. 
and our tense mind starts to relax. And then we continue on and continue on down into the space where our mind is relaxed because our body is relaxed. And it's, it's just this beautiful exploration of ingraining ourselves into the now. What is happening now? So I highly advise people to steer away from the visualization meditations Me too. in the beginning uh, because it's better to fully engage, even though counting from one to 10 seems boring for some people. What is interesting is that as you count from one to 10, you'll realize how challenging it is mm -hmm. to do it without having another thought. Yeah. At least, at least you understand the environment you're in. Mm -hmm. It's like, Oh, okay. I, that's the thing that's stopping me from doing this. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so when I'm saying, look at the fire, look at the candle, that's a great first meditation for people because it's beautiful. You can cultivate that beauty. So you can say, Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Look at the flame. And then when you feel a thought or when you see a thought or when you are aware that a thought exists, exhale it into the flame and let it burn away. And just note the quietness, note the sounds that are happening. All of these present moment things, what is happening now? Feeling the sensations of breath moving and locked onto that candle flame that starts to to have a, a, a profound impact on our psyche after a while when we give ourselves try to start with 10 minutes even though that might be long for people you could even do five but push it to 10 and eventually make it to 20 because there's been research that shows that 20 minutes is a good mid like middle ground where you get the highest neurological benefits with the lowest amount of time. Um, but meditation is, is so cool because the more you do it with consecutive practice daily, I'd advise people to do 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes at night, or even just do 20 minutes a day, uh, from, either in the morning or at night. If you didn't do it this morning, you have to do it at night. Think about it like that. And in a week, you'll be craving that time. Yeah, for sure. You'll be wanting it so badly because it's so relaxing and blissful. You don't have to do anything else. All you have to do is sit. So sit with it, even a timer. So you don't even have to think about, Oh, how long have I been going? Yeah. Just, with a little gong timer and watch a candle. Another really good one is if you have access to a full length mirror, sit as close as you can to the mirror and look yourself in the eye and just look at your pupil at the darkest part of your eye and inhale and exhale into that space and allow your vision to just fade. And you will have one of the most profound experiences for 20 minutes. Just sit there and watch your mind go wild. Watch any sensations. Just become the watcher. Yeah. Just become the watcher. And those things will reveal to you 
the entirety of yourself, the world. It is, it's one of the best tools anyone can ever equip themselves with. If you learn meditation, you will never be bored again. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard people tell me, like they they might see themselves as a, a greeter at a at a party, like they're having a big party and say there's five hundred guests, right? Mm-hmm. If they all come in the door, you don't have time to really acknowledge somebody. You're you're looking at somebody and you're right. like. Hey, Jim, how you doing? Hey, Matt, how you doing? But it, it, it's the same thing with your meditation. You're, there's a lot of things around you. If you hear something, recognize it and move on. Mm-hmm. You just keep moving on. So that was kind of an interesting one. Well, what right. you're saying, I like that candle one, especially if you take a thought and you can burn it, which right. is also neat. Yeah. Yeah. But there's no need to cling or hold on to yes. the thoughts. And, and if you think, you're going to think. You're going to yes. think. So instead of saying, oh, my God, I thought, oh, my God, I thought, I thought. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. It, all you have to do is be aware. Yeah. And the fact that you're aware of it is a good thing. Yeah. And so once you're aware, allow yourself to release it yes. and say, that's there. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yeah, for sure. And eventually you'll pour all of that out. You'll pour all of the tension out. You'll pour, pour all of the mind worms out that right. are constantly going and going. Yeah. And it, it, now people will ask me, you know, how long do you meditate? And it, it's basically from the time I get up to the time I go to sleep. <laughs> right. And it's just interrupted periodically by business or thoughts or whatever. But I try and mm-hmm. turn everything into a, pretty much all day meditation yeah that so. is that is the true joy and the profound nature of meditation is when we can get up that's why the buddhist practice walking meditation yeah because we should be able to contain that meditative state while we're in motion while we're moving that was one of the things that i was teaching out in la as well as i was getting people out and we we're doing flow state movement meditations where where we would, it was all of these playful movements in the state of meditation, feeling our musculature moving, releasing our pent up energy so that afterwards we could go and sit. We would do it in Santa Monica often and, and we would sit and, and listen to the ocean and, I would put strangers with each other to do eye gaze meditations. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it's an incredible thing um, to be able to show people those tools because yeah. they really can change your life and it's available to anybody. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Roots to Rocket Science podcast, beauty, health, and everything else. If you're a fan of the show, we'd love it if you gave us a follow on an Apple podcast or Spotify. And if you're feeling extra ambitious, show us some love on Instagram. As always, thank you again for choosing to listen to our podcast. And we hope you'll tune in next week for another exciting episode.